0: Welcome to the Shaky Experience. My name is James Richard Lane. Today, April 16th, 2021, we'll be speaking volume with Kip Berman, also known as The Natural. The Natural is an indie folk rock project founded by Kip in 2018. The project has released a few singles, an EP, and most recently a full-length album titled Tethers on Canine Records on April 2nd, 2021. Kip's music has been featured on Pitchfork, Stereogum, Consequences of sound diy magazine rolling stone and much more he's performed coachella lollapalooza late night with david letterman and has toured across the country and overseas many times with his previous band the pains of being pure at heart without further ado kip welcome to the show oh
1: thank you so much for having me james i really appreciate getting to speak with you today
0: yeah it is such a pleasure having you on for me as well um i remember a friend introduced me to your previous band and i think when i was like 20 and then we saw you at siren fest in coney islands and i just remember it was steaming hot that day and i was wearing pants so i had to like just go randomly buy a pair of shorts in like a gift shop that day because i was just burning up but i wanted to see your band so badly and uh You know, uh, down the road, I find out that my neighbor, um, Harrison, uh, you guys uh, are friends and I don't know, life just kind of became full circle. It just felt like really cool that I continued to get to see you every time that you toured uh, Baltimore or the DC Philly area.
1: Well, that's awesome yeah i i remember siren festival it was very hot and it was just sort of like a parking lot in the middle uh, on coney island so yeah. um yeah it was it was a really hot day and uh it was a lot of fun i remember seeing screaming females play that day oh and, yeah yeah it was just like a, a cool thing to be part of like village voice obviously doesn't exist anymore but it was a, a rather like a big deal to be able to play a festival uh, that was put on by the Village Voice, which was such like a important cultural institution to uh, New York uh, music.
0: Definitely, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, taking uh, us back to current time, how are you doing in twenty twenty one?
1: You know, it's it's always a that's a tricky question. You don't want to say I'm fine because and not acknowledge that you know there's a lot of things that are you know going on that are yeah. really challenging for a lot of people. But I I I, I think I'm fortunate. Um, uh, my family is healthy. Um, we have a roof over our head and um, you know, I'm, I'm talking with you today, so we sort of hopefully made it to the other side of a, a of a long year, uh, and 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 change. And um, yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm I've, I have uh, no no personal complaints.
0: I love that. Cool. Yeah, it definitely is a challenging time for a lot of people. But your new album has brought some positivity, at least in my life. Um, it's it's a very joyful, uh, happy sounding just i i don't know it, it just has this very like peaceful side to it and it, it like this foggy, uh just bright colors bright feels and you know tethers just came out so recently and i was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about this new release and what people can expect from it that may have not have heard the album yet
1: oh yeah sure um well you know Again, it's before getting out to the release, it's just uh, my life has changed a lot in the last five years. In 2016, uh, I record, recorded the last uh, Pains of Being Peered Heart album, which is called The Echo of Pleasure. And when that was done, um, a, a month or two later, my my, my daughter was born. Uh, I, I left uh, Brooklyn, where I'd been living for 10 years, and I moved to Princeton, New Jersey, which is a small university town in central New Jersey with my my partner. And my life you know, transformed in almost every possible way. And um, while well, I did release that album with pains and do a little bit of touring still so, like at that point I had no desire or, um, uh, impulse to write, continue writing music in that style because the feelings in my life had, had changed so much and it, it just shifted the kind of music I was writing. So I, uh, even though this record came out in 2021, it's songs I'd been working on, you know, probably starting around 2016, uh, 2017. And I started recording the record in 2018. And when I was about halfway done, I booked in three days in the studio. Uh, When I was halfway done, um, son was born a couple of weeks early, um, not in an unhealthy way, just like I was expecting him to come around November, mid-November and he came up late late October. So, uh, you know, I, you know, finished it in the studio, drove to the hospital and and, uh, had (laughs) my second baby, which, um, I, I stayed, stayed home with my daughter and I stayed home with my son for the first year or so too. So uh, when, I, when he was finally old enough to start going to preschool and things like that, I was expecting to put out the record. And then, of course, with the pandemic, there was a, another year of uh, just sort of um, not doing that. So the record's finally out and I'm grateful that it's uh, out there and people can hear it and all those good things. But um, it's music I had been working on for a long time and I, uh, and I think sort of captures the way that my life is different now than it was when I was living in Brooklyn um, and you know with Kurt and Peggy and Alex and and doing those kinds of things in life.
0: Yeah totally and it's kind of interesting you say that because I've even noticed the changes within your sound from the pains to the natural and I remember seeing you perform live solo at Charm City Art Space I think in maybe 2013 and I recall even your solo performance it, it felt a little bit more upbeat it, it felt kind of more like you had like this like positive like just really um can, conveying like kind of like a happier side i almost want to say i mean not to say that the pains is kind of like a, a sad side but i i just felt like you're you're solo project, it, it just had this bright, bright feel to it. And it's it's cool to see the solo performance really taking off and The Natural coming together, especially after, you know, all the years that you had with The Pains. I was curious, what do you feel are the main differences from this new album, Tethers, to your other music you've released as The Natural?
1: Well, I think, like, the biggest thing is just the, the way it was made was... Uh was different, you know, with with the pain, we were always sort of striving towards a sense of perfection that was beyond ourselves, but worthy to aspire to. So, you know, whether that was playing along to a metronome when we were recording or doing a bunch of overdubs to try to get the parts just right, or um, all that goes into it, like using like guitar effects, pedals and all that, all those kinds of things to try to create something that was almost beyond ourselves, but um, sort of an ideal that we ourselves you know, couldn't exactly live up to, but I, I, I that that was sort of the in my mind at least the the motivation for a lot of what Pains did. Um, and with the natural, it's just by circumstance. I just didn't really have time um, to bother with all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I went into the studio with um, my my friend Andy Savers, who recorded the last two Pains records. I, and it, same person. It's like we just worked in a different way. And we turned on the guitar amp. We plugged in the bass. We Brian played the drums, Kyle, uh, J- uh, Jacob played the bass, and uh, Kyle played the keyboards, and we just sort of played the songs in the moment live and captured them that way. And uh, I think that that process itself creates a really different energy and a really different feeling. Um, maybe the songs get a little bit faster or slower at certain points, I don't I don't know, but that, that mirrors the way I would normally play them if I'm not listening to like a, a metronome going... Uh, no. And so, and so, so that that process itself was like a huge shift in, in how we did it. And um, I mean, I mean, and the song structures themselves were, I would say, maybe written a little looser. Uh, when I when I did paint, I used to make demos of all the songs by myself first, and like re- try to record them on a computer or whatever. And so that the songs were kind of fixed in structure before going into the studio, and everyone kind of knew what they're supposed to do beforehand. And, and with this, I didn't really have any real preconceived notions. I mean, I, I could play you the songs on, on my guitar, but it wasn't like I knew what the bass should be doing or the keyboards or um, harmonies. It all just kind of happened more in the moment and uh, sort of in the spirit of how uh, records were made in another era in which, you know, we didn't even really rehearse that much. You know, I had these songs, <laughs> I, we had like a band practice I kind of showed people where the changes were, but it was kind of that idea of like almost, uh, a singer songwriter bringing a song into a recording studio and there being sort of a a house band of of good musicians that, you know, knew how to play it, but it wasn't like this overly rehearsed thing uh, beforehand. So I I guess that would kind of get to the heart of how these two projects uh, were different.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. I certainly have noticed some changes. And it's interesting that you said how uh it's kind of just you with a guitar opposed to putting together like the bass line or drums or anything like that. That it definitely does sound like there has created more of an organic feel, perhaps, or just has like created some type of new yeah. environment that's kind of like unique to your other releases, which which I always think is a good thing. I always I always think it's nice to switch things up a little bit. I was curious what what were some of the primary influences from this recent release?
1: You know, it's, it's it's a strange thing. When I was when I was home with my daughter after she was born, you know, my, my wife went back to work and I was home with her for a while, um, a year and a half, just, just me and her hanging out, which maybe that doesn't sound like a long time, but there's like actually a really long stretch of time to just be spending every day with a little person. Um, the kind of music I was listening to was a lot different than maybe what had gone inspired pains. I mean, there's still some bands that I really love uh, like a band called Orange Juice and The Pastels and some of the, some of the yeah. grittier, um, sort of uh, dirtier sounds of sort of Glasgow, uh, Glaswegian, Scottish bands. I still love those and I come back to those, but I was listening to a lot more, um, you know, Richard, Richard Thompson and Fairport Convention. Uh, my, my mom actually came over one day and was like listening to something I was doing and she said, and it's kind of reminds me of Richard Thompson. Do you ever do you ever listen to him? And I'm like, I don't know who that is, um, but and then she's just like, well, you should check him out. And you know, it's like, I mean, everyone has a different relationship with their parents, but I have a very um, close relationship with my mom. In in a sense where I don't like her cultural um, reference points and the things that she likes are also things I like. I, I'm not one of those like, fuck you, mom. I don't want to listen to your stupid. Record. <laughs> Like I, I like I like so much of what she likes and she likes a lot of sort of um, kind of outlaw country uh, like Leonard Cohn, Dylan and 60s singer-songwriter stuff and sort of this she has a really strong impulse towards the organic side like a sort of a I don't, I don't know if analog is the right word but just sort of music made with like she likes rock and roll but like a real like earthy kind of rock and roll. She's not, she's not into like 80s drum machines and stuff like that like for whatever reason like her the things she really likes are like you know, it's like, whether it's like Lucinda Williams or Emmylou Harris, or um, she thinks Keith Richards is like the, the pinnacle of like the sexiest man alive, you know, it's like, she's like into that sort of um, that's that sound like sort of like a sort of uh, like a sort of dirty rock and roll sound. So, um, so she told me about Richard Thompson and, and, you know, I, I started listening to it and I loved it. And I was, I was so into it and, and it just so happened. He was playing a concert in Princeton. Now someone told me he actually might actually live somewhere in New Jersey. Now, like I, I don't know where he lives. I'm not like a stalker or whatever <laughs> <laughs> concert in Princeton. And and the idea of like anyone playing a concert in Princeton was so unlikely, but then it was like this person who I was listening to all his music and his old band Fairport convention. I got super into. And the thought that he was actually playing in this little university town where nobody plays because it's close enough to New York and close enough to Philly that it's just not really a, a stop for people on tour. Okay, so I, it, it felt like the universe was kind of like, throwing me a bone here so I, I went and saw him play and it was just him on stage with a guitar and i was oh
0: wow yeah so that did that inspire your live performance at all or your sound at all for this no, i know
1: i never learned how to play guitar like richard thompson if <laughs> he's like he's like Jimi <laughs> hendrix it was like something I, I didn't i didn't totally understand like, on a record it's like you can he play great but it's like i'm listening to more for the songs and the lyricism and the singing uh, and the energy but like watching him actually play a musical instrument was um I don't, disheartening is not the right word, but I was just amazed by the, his, his, I don't even care that much about like people being good or bad at an instrument, but the way he played was just a, a, amazing. And, and that side of things, I was just like, holy shit, this guy's like a, a shred lord. Wow. <laughs> on, top of, on top of everything else. And he was like on an acoustic guitar in front of tons of people just by himself on stage. It was really cool.
0: That is okay. really cool. So,
1: and, and I think you mentioned that, that show in Baltimore a while back where I was just playing solo and I had so much fun just doing that and not having to carry amps. I'd, I'd love to tell you that all my decisions are rooted in some sort of artistic process, but then I, I, I tend to make most of my decisions uh, in life based on laziness or something like that. So I'm like, it's kind of more fun to play. You just write songs and play them for people instead of like carrying in like uh, a van worth of like musical gear and drum sets and all that stuff. I'm not saying I won't do that again at some point, but it, it felt really fun. I went down with my... I guess she was my girlfriend at the time. We're married now and we have children, but we, we just went down to Baltimore. I put a guitar in the back of, you know, a rental car and we just drove down and I took it out. I went on stage and I played and um, it was it was fun and cool. And I didn't have to not just carry amps into the venue or out of the venue at the same time. I could just like have, have a beer and hang out with. And that seemed like a lot, a lot, I feel like I, I was like this is a lot more fun, right? So I, I guess that that was another inspiration is just uh my general uh, laziness I suppose.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. And uh I can definitely relate to that. I I feel like that's fair. I mean, you got to save all your energy for your your live performance on the stage, you know? Like that it totally makes sense. And that's funny you say that about kind of um just driving down and just just going for it with I guess your girlfriend now wife at a, at the time. I, I feel like that in itself has like some inspiration lyrically and just like motivates you just to like have like a fun kind of day and just roll with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, from what I saw, it, it looked like you were enjoying yourself. So it, it seemed like a good time. Going back to your album, I was wondering where did the album name come from? And were there any other contenders for the name?
1: You know, I, it, it's, it's, it's funny, you, you you ask cuz i i didn't put a ton of thought into it um i had all these songs and i normally i just kind of named the album like after one of the songs on the album and that yeah. like the first Payne's album was easy cuz you could just do self titled though we <laughs> that one was like we we're we we're in between i think we were going to call it romantic friendship but then we just went with self titled cuz it seemed easier than uh uh like every Payne's album probably had like a different title than what it ended up being but like the yeah, the first one is easy. You can do self-titled. And I, I guess I could have done self-titled for the natural too, but um or uh I think I think at that time, like maybe the the like the track sequencing was like the first track on the album was like gonna be Tears of Gold or something, but Ooh. it didn't end up being so I was thinking maybe Tears of Gold, but then I was like that doesn't really mean anything <laughs> to say anything. Um so I I went with tethers because it just sort of it kind of got at what the tension of the record was is this idea of like a tether can be both um some people it depends it's so interesting how people see it like some guy was me the other day it's like a tether is something that really ties you down and limits you and like keeps you from going somewhere and i'm like it's also a good thing it keeps you from like blown away in a storm or it's like it it keeps you in in place in a positive sense and a sense of security as well it's not just a um a, a limit but it's also a kind of a safety and a freedom like of of being able to stay somewhere and being rooted somewhere so I sense a lot of these songs kind of dealt with uh, a bit of the tension between both wanting to, a lot of characters on the record, a lot of people, the songs are about people out in the world and kind of being free and yeah. sort of the, the unspoken other side of the fact was me not really being that anymore and, and and making sense of life in a in a different way, like being home and being with my daughter and, yeah, uh, you know, having, not getting in a van with my friend, driving around for like three months at a time, you know, so... I just kind of thought that that was a word, an an idea that sort of spoke to both sides of it, um, the the positive or the negative. What what was good? What was um, challenging or whatever.
0: There's so many great tracks on that album too. Probably my favorite is "Why Don't You Come Out Anymore?" Just like how heavy and hard hitting that is. It just like really, really like just kind of in your face, but in the best way possible. And it just feels like just such a great work of art. What is your favorite track from the new album?
1: Well, I mean that that one's a. I I, I love that when when I had that song. I you know I, at first I. I didn't think I should put it first on the record, but it's just it's so immediate and so good. And I, I've shot myself in the foot before with the album sequencing, like with uh, Days of Abandoned. I, I really insisted on putting Art Smock first on the record. And You
0: should have. Dude, hold on. Art Smock being the first song on Days of Abandonment is like, that hit home for me so hard. I feel like that was a really great idea, in my personal opinion.
1: It. I mean, to me, I, I always want that first song to kind of speak to the whole experience of the album. I want to, it's like, if there's like a song that kind of, Gives the cliff notes of what you're gonna hear and what you're gonna experience and what the, <laughs> the feelings are like. I and that's how I feel about why don't you come out anymore? At least it, um, it really, it really wasn't like it wasn't playing around. It was like these are sort of these are what this record's about. And, it, yeah. and if, you, if you don't listen to the next eight songs, it's fine. Like you're gonna get it if you just get this song. that's, that's enough. And I think with Days of Abandon, Art Smock was that too. I mean, it was like after after basically everyone in my band left, like not in like a bad way, not in like, I think people saw that and were like, that dude must be like a m- mega maniacal weirdo or something like that. But it wasn't that, it was just like life changed. Like everyone needed to do different stuff and didn't, you know, had done kind of everything with a band that they wanted to do. Like once once you've like gone on tour and you've released a couple of records, it's like, I think, unless you're like really a a, a lifer, um, like most people are like, that was cool. Now I need to like, I uh, Have a, like a like a more steady kind of um, relationship with my 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 existence, but um and I thought so I thought like Art Smock was kind of like getting at getting that at that idea and this sort of that that experience in a way and but like when when but like the guy that recorded it was just like don't put this album don't put this track first it sounds like super like a coffee house open mic, mic. <laughs> and I'm like but that's why I wrote it it's like a coffee mic coffee house and that's what it's about it's like this idea of like uh sort of like a heroic amateurism of and then like sort of the other side of that it's like um when it can't sustain so I, I i don't know so uh but yeah like people were like that had heard belong wanted to hear like belonger or whatever and they were like very like this isn't heavy it's not like a thousand guitars playing yeah, you know, at the same time and i'm like
0: yeah. <laughs> like come saturday or something
1: yeah i mean it's just like well, but if you want to go hear that you can go back to the other album and hear that again And now I'm doing something a little different and trying to say something a little different, which is which is always like. um, uh, There's times when people come with you on that journey, and other times when people are like, "No, thanks, man. I I want to go back and listen to the." (laughs) Initially made me interested in the music, and that's cool too. I'm I'm that way with bands I love, and um, I don't I don't begrudge it. I mean, there's like lots of bands I love, and and, but I might not get their new album. You know, it's like I'm like I've I've had I have like three or four albums I go back to, and um, it's not a disrespect. It's sometimes. Certain artists to sort of represent a certain moment of your life and a certain uh, idea, and it's and it's not always um, the listener's duty to like follow them through every weird little like. And now I'm going to write about the difficulties of a domestic partnership. It's like it's like it's <laughs> kind of like, like I don't want to hear about Eric Clapton's taxes. Actually, I don't want anything. But like you know, it's like let me tell you what like my my prostate problems are like. Or something. I don't know. It's like there's like a certain point in life where you it's okay to like maybe just like peace out on a
0: yeah yeah kind of like uh that sort of reminds me of the strokes for example you know just classic is this it room on fire i think that speaks to a lot of people and then we hear kind of their newer material and it's uh it's definitely a lot more sadder it just seems like he's just kind of just chilling at home and just going with whatever kind of just going with the flow for some of those so
1: yeah and, it, and it's like and, it, and if you like go for the strokes metaphor it's like he's also putting out records as, as like the voids, and, voids. I, and i think he's putting more of his like the stuff that he's actually concerned about and thinking about whether you're into it or not it's like it's going into those voids records and the strokes is just kind of like uh well, we're still the strokes we should if we if we put out a record we can go and play some songs and stand out live and go on to, i mean like there's it's, it seems like the the challenging artistry that he's trying to do is not in the strokes anymore and it's sort of uh it's not it's not a bad thing but it's like the i think the first two strokes records like they were like all in it. Um, and then, um, I mean, I, I th- and I think it, it's okay to like burn out, like if you're like billed as like the biggest band of the world, the saviors of rock and roll, it's, it's like tough to like, and it, and it doesn't really happen. I mean, like, I think it's the part of the strokes that people don't understand is that the strokes were commercially not as big as they were supposed to be. Like they, there was like this expectation, like the white stripes were, a, I mean, not that it matters, but like the strokes kind of, um, by what was expected of them did not succeed on a commercial level of actually becoming the generation defining rock and roll band, except in the UK where like, like one in four like adults actually owned the record. It was like some, there's some stat where it's like the amount of people who owned that first strokes record in the UK was like, like 30% of the adult population. But, um, but yeah, yeah so it's like, I mean, Julian was like, Julian's a great songwriter and he's, a, he's a really interesting artist and he, he does, he's a good lyricist, Um, but he's putting his not best work, but his, the work that he cares about the most into his his own music. And The Strokes is just sort of a vehicle to like get together, play some songs and kind of create something um, like more, maybe more collaborative. Maybe the band is more collaborative now and it's not just like all him and it's like, let's let everyone write a song. But, um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a time and a place for uh, knowing when to uh, piece out from.
0: Yeah, and I kind of got that vibe from you with the pains, sorta. It felt like you were just really into your solo project now and kind of the pains is still kind of fun, but that's just not what your life is anymore. Like you have a family and kids and do you feel in a way that you may have not have been able to deliver the same way that you had previously with the pains, similar to what you were saying with the strokes?
1: You know, it that's, that's a good question. And it's always easier to like critique like some other artists and be like, that's when they stopped really caring. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 no, everything I did is great. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think the third Payne's album was, uh, well, it was written at a time when like sort of the band was disintegrating, like not in like a, not like this, like not in a horrible way, just like I could tell people were about to leave. Yeah. And I think I wrote a bunch of songs either about that or to try to keep them to stay. Like, I, I just, it was probably the most collaborative Pains record because I did most of those, the demos and the tracking with Kurt and he, he loves a, a real, um, his aesthetic. I mean, I mean, it's, it's obviously changed too, but like he really loves like Aztec camera and this very light eighties uh, uh, inflected uh, idea of, of like sort of fancy pop um, and his own music is actually is brilliant. Like both in the depreciation go, but then later in the ice choir too. The ice choir, yeah it's very, um, it's very like refined to a point that it's almost uh, beyond what people, it, it's like Scritti it's like something so, and, and it's not just like wanting to make music like that is one thing, having the, the skill to sort of um, create in that way is like, is, is beyond just playing the G chord, you know, which is what <laughs> I do. Um, but yeah, I think, oh. I think the third re- pain track and I was really trying to both speak about the disintegration of the oh. band It was like a breakup album, but about the band, not about a relationship. And then um, kind of try to impress, I guess all Pains records were trying to impress my bandmates uh, more than anything, like, and sort of like channel their, their hopes and, uh, and, and, you know, kind of please them. Um, The first record was, and and I think maybe my relationship with Peggy as a friend, it's like, I, I kind of wrote songs that she would think is, are cool, um, and, that's and we, cool. Uh, um, and then and then with the third record, it was kind of like writing songs that Kurt would think is cool, like, um, <laughs> not that I didn't like them too. I was just kind of like, oh, we should have a, like things like uh, like bell synths or like uh, Kelly or like a uh, masochist or things, yeah,
0: like kind of like yeah,
1: rooted in more of a uh, neo acoustic or um, uh, like an 80s indie pop. A uh, very um, clean aesthetic, whereas like the first Paints record was like really dirty. The second, yeah. was really, like '90s American uh, alternative music, kind of like what was on the radio when I was a kid. Kind of <laughs> like that big guitar post-grunge moment where yeah. uh, alternative music was also kind of arena music at the same time. Like there was an ambition. Like the underground had now become the the mainstream in a way, uh, with bands like you know Nirvana and the Pixies, and I mean, not Pixies, but the Weezer and the Smash. Yes. And
0: the, and yeah.
1: Like that and then so yeah, for the third record, it was like kind of I was trying to like um like maybe if I write songs that Kurt likes he'll still want to be in the band (laughs) but uh, but that didn't work out um and then and the fourth record I just kind of was like let's write a Payne's Greatest Hits album sort of about like these new weird feelings I have in terms of uh getting married and like uh living with someone it was like sort of like sonically I thought was kind of like taking from a little bit of each of the what had come before it wasn't like a totally new sonic direction but then it was like in terms of what i was singing about it was it's it seemed to be channeling what i was dealing with in my life at that time and um but also it was like also all recorded with like i programmed all the drums on the fourth panes record so maybe it it's like it was like kind of i had to kind of do everything myself on that one and it was uh for better for worse like i did it but it it probably would have been um sounded more pleasing to people, or something. If like it was a full band playing together, like it was on the first three records, but I don't, I don't know if it was like a lack of interest in the project. But the fourth album, I kind of wanted to, I kind of felt bad about how like no one liked um, Days of Abandon that much, and I was like maybe I'll just try to do like a greatest hits kind of thing. And then, uh, and then when my daughter was born, I was just, like I have, I have no motive, no interest in like writing another pain song as long as I live. It wasn't like I dislike pain. It was more like whatever whatever motivated that I didn't want to like approximate the feeling by like craft. I didn't want to be like, Oh, I can write a song in the style of the pain to being period hard. It was like really that band was the 10 years of my life when I lived in New York with friends. And uh, when I left New York, um, I left the band. And even though I officially broke up in 2019, it's like, you have to release the record and kind of do the normal things to like play shows and all that stuff, just out of responsibility to the people that are involved in it and not like being like, with people hanging, but at that point, like 2016, I, I just didn't I just knew it was there wasn't going to be another record because I didn't have uh, the desire that would make me write another record in that style.
0: Yeah, and I think that's completely fair. You know, my favorite Payne's album is Days of Abandonment. That is my favorite album. Lyrically, guitar, everything about it, I am a huge fan of. I like all the songs on the album and um, I actually... You know, I'm a big fan of the self-titled and Belong as well, but I just feel like the way that that album came together was structured so well. And just, I personally really thought it was good. I mean, I don't really care if anyone else disliked it. I think that that's all that matters. But um, my favorite release that you've ever done, actually, is the Hell EP. Like... Wow. I, I feel like that EP just hit so hard and it was such a, a different sound than the, your previous releases at that time and I, I don't even want to try to pronounce it because I know I'm gonna mess it up the song with the word handshake. Oh, Goth- Gothenburg. It's a city in Sweden. Gothenburg handshake, yeah. <laughs> Gothenburg handshake, yeah. The Those tracks, when you were releasing that, I remember watching the music video for Hell and just listening to that EP and those few uh, singles, and even Jeremy, What I really loved that one, as well as the Tom Petty cover album. I felt like all of those songs were like a new version of the pains or a new version of you. And I could feel a sense of transition, maybe not only within your band, but within yourself as well. And I think that that's something that I really admired was the, the change and how it wasn't just, Uh, the self-titled debut album over and over again, even though I I love that album. I think that album is an absolute masterpiece, but I I really appreciate when an artist will kind of go and switch up their sounds a little bit more like, almost like, surfy reverby poppy kind of like the Gothenburg handshake and hell and stuff like that do do you do you feel that way as well or do you feel different
1: um well you know it's, it's, it's interesting I think I, I think um for Days of Abandon I probably wrote more songs for that record than I'd ever written for anything before you know I, I'm not you know, I always—I wrote a bunch of songs early on for first two records too. And there's like, you know, some make the record and some are as good, and you just don't like record them. And some you record and you keep them as B sides. But yeah. for Days of Abandon, I think I wrote like I don't know thirty or 40s. I wrote a lot of songs, and it was, um, oh my and gosh. I and I felt like and I felt like maybe I, I didn't always maybe I didn't choose the right ones all the time. But like I I. I was really writing a lot for Days of Abandon, and, and I think because I was, I was dealing with a lot of um, uncertainty and my, the, way I wanted, the way I'm wanted, the way i capable of dealing with that is through writing, you know, it's, it's the, the way that I process feelings. It has been since I was a teenager and got a guitar. It was like my way of having a, a, an outlet for, you know, whatever, it's, I mean, it's like a, a cliche, like confusing feelings or the things you just can't say and the tension in the room getting the tension in the room out in some in some in some way uh so i i wrote a ton for um days of abandon i guess and the song hell was you know one of those songs i i, I sort of did a demo for and i didn't know if it like totally fit in the style of the record and then um and there's like there's a bunch of other songs too that i mean there's was, there was like a, i think there was like a deluxe edition that had like four extra songs on it for days of abandon too that had uh a song called like, Summer of Dreams um, that's
0: a great title
1: <laughs> there's also a song I, I also wrote a song called Summer of Hell so it was like <laughs> summer, of, summer of dreams and summer of hell it was like a sort of a, uh whatever that's called um, uh, a, sort of a, a duality of a uh, some sort so summer of dreams summer of hell um, which i don't know if I, I for the my future black metal project or yeah, <laughs> yeah there was, like, i i wrote a lot for days of abandon and a lot of it came out on different uh and the hell ep and like sort of through other avenues um and and even or like you know bonus tracks for like the japanese edition and i think maybe even maybe go of pleasure had like a song or two that was kind of written in a different context for days of abandon i think it was uh what was that it was the one with like guitars on it It was like um (laughs) uh summer comes and summer dies Falling um, apart, so falling apart, so slow. It was like a totally different okay, yeah. song, but it was like it was the same chords and the lyrics. Um, where that was like a, a demo, like a demo I had done in a different context, and then I sort of reimagined it for the the fourth record. So I, I, I was writing so much uh, for Days of Abandon, and I guess I had, and I was kind of trying to find a new voice and a new perspective and a, and a new way of processing. Um, My feelings like musically so that's maybe why it jumped around a little stylistically and tried different things but um you know it's like i with with i think i was looking for something and with the natural i was able to really uh reset and and do something entirely fresh and entirely different that told a very different story yeah and it just it took a little distance from actually being in the band and like subconsciously i was always trying to maybe right to meet expectations of others, both my bandmates. And then like, when I didn't have bandmates, uh, like, like just the, what people that like my band wanted to hear, like, uh, uh, what's that a song that's like, uh, that until the sun explodes. Like, oh,
0: classic. I've one of my so favorite like, verses.
1: So like, I, I wrote that song just sort of like being like, there was no other songs that sounded on days of abandon, like older pain songs. And I thought it was important on some way to like, not, mm-hmm. um, Piss people off too much for just being like I'm just gonna write a bunch of fancy jangly songs that you may not really care for. Um, so like, like stuff like that. But that, that that always felt like a little bit like um, not it didn't line up with like what I was interested at the time. And and as and I think leaving the band gave me a fresh start to make new music that was different without expectation that it had to be like what I'd done before or what people um wanted to hear. And I. I as a music fan myself, I felt probably maybe an oversized sense of obligation to not like alienate or piss off the people that had given me this remarkable life opportunity to, to actually be a person in a, in a band that like played for, for more than four people, um, but maybe less than 12. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I think leaving pains and leaving that and putting that part of my life behind me like was, uh, was so good for me, like in terms of what I was able to do do next.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like that's incredible that you just said that like anybody that's listening has to respect that you just said like, Hey, basically not alienating my fans and still giving them a little bit of what they want as well for giving me that life. I I think that that's extremely admirable and just very very sweet of you as an artist a human musician um because i think that there are a lot of people that really do enjoy the natural and i am certainly one of them i remember when you released know me more and just the caveman paintings on the wall just that line like just everything about it i was like damn he is still writing just the best music ever it's just kind of different now and uh I I love it. Like what what can I say? <laughs> my two year old son
1: really likes that song. He doesn't he doesn't know what it's called. He's always like caveman painting, caveman painting <laughs> a time. for a while. Now now he like wants different songs, but for a while he like really loved that song. He's like just like fascinated when he sees a music video of me playing music or any kind of representation of my music and he knows it's me, like instantly, even if it's not a video, he knows uh through the voice or whatever it's like daddy's song daddy's like he's like very interested in, it in a way that my daughter um she actually was really good at picking out the singles for uh when she was one years old at uh for echoes of pleasure or echo of pleasure Ooh. i would play her i probably her the album and like whatever song she was about a little over one whatever song she'd really bounced to those would be the singles so it was like on some level she knew what the what the hits were so i i, I credit her with that but she's a little less like interested in uh like my music which is fine but my son for whatever reason he's younger he's he's just like if if one of my songs comes on he's just like really like
0: (laughs) Um, talking a little bit about your lyrics and your verses kip i am curious what is your favorite line that you have ever written it can be either pains or natural song
1: oh man um i don't don't know i've 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 written a lot of them uh i think they're kind of I think like what people don't understand is a lot of them are are funny and like sort of self-effacing. Like, it's like, I don't know, at the beginning of Belong, it's like, we like put out our first album and like everyone like talked about how it wasn't very original. And like, so like, the opening line of Belong is like, what to do, nothing new. Let's try another. Um, you know, it's like, it's a, there's a lot of like, kind of uh, stuff like that in my music, maybe more than I'd, uh, maybe like people don't like totally know that I'm like kind of joking all the time um, yeah or like or that line in heart in your heartbreak that's like an ambulance goes by and you wonder why it never stops when you want it to it's like literally I was just like recording the demo of like heart and your heartbreak and like an ambulance like went by and it was like kind of on the, the demo recording <laughs> <laughs> and it, was, you know, it was kind of like a, a very maudlin sentiment it's like is it coming for me um but it, it was also like it's like maudlin but also like funny I, or at least my, my sense of humor i thought it was funny um i always i always liked higher than the stars a lot like probably my favorite pain song was higher than the stars mine too um but and so it was but it, i'm not sure if they're like oh like the idea of like describing sort of like like sort of the 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 nowhereness of like suburban america as like bumblefuck on repeat like, like i thought that was yeah. like kind of like uh like the idea of using like like uh, the idea of on repeat um, as like a way of describing a sort of uh, a visual monotony of nowherness. Um I thought that was pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not here to like toot my own, toot my own horn. There's just certain things that I've always thought like, yeah, good.
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, I think. Oh, it-
1: wait, wait. On, on the new, on the new album, what is it like? Uh, there's a line in Alone in London where it says, um, just knew the ocean was a darker shade of you. I can't. It might be true, but just knew the ocean was a darker shade of you. It's like someone's so dark that like it. may, ocean. Oh, the ocean is darker than or uh, a, a lighter shade of you. Sorry, the ocean is a lighter shade of you. So is it this implication that someone's like really, really fucking dark? If in like, <laughs> like, the, the depths and darkness of the ocean is like sort of a, a pastel, relatively <laughs> of, of their character. Um, so I, I, I always thought that was kind of like a interesting way of putting it but like yeah I mean I, I I'm most in, I'm like probably the least in terms of music I'm probably the least interested in the music part of the music and most interested in the the writing part of the music but that doesn't mean that I am interested in being a writer you know it's like it's just in the context of music what what resonates with me are the words um, and and the and the form of the music there's certain ideals that I like and certain sounds that I like but I'm not fixated on like creating a new synthesizer sound that has never been heard before because, um, and some people are like, some people are like, I really want to have like this, the frequency of this note, just so that it like strikes people in a way that makes them reconsider um, their mortality or whatever. But like, for me, it's, I'm just, uh, I, when I listen to an artist, I listen to the words. And when I make music, I, I try to write songs that uh, aren't, aren't too dumb.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that you write really well lyrically and that's something for me as a fan that i am huge into is lyrics um i i'm definitely a hunter of how lyrics kind of um can be conveyed as poetry spoken word and then still have those like loud guitars and drums within it as well um i i just think it makes for like a really magical moment um but i wanted to talk a little bit about last year you released a new version of one of of my favorite pain songs the b-side ramona as the natural and i was curious what made you decide to re-release that track as the natural and the new version with the organ on it oh my god like it's just yeah it's excellent it's a it's a beautifully well done version of it
1: thanks james (laughs) it's really nice uh you know we recorded ramona and it was i think it was gonna it might have gone on the first record, but I wanted to put that song Gentle Sons on instead just because it was a song that I had kind of worked on in a different form with my best friend uh, that we'd been in bands together like forever. And like we've done so many creative things together. And like now I was finally getting to make a record of my own. And I kind of wanted to pay homage to that relationship with him. And he I mean, he's still my best friend. It's like we still do stuff together like that New Colossus. I just did like a, a live set for New Colossus Festival up on a rooftop in uh, Brooklyn and He recorded it, and that was his rooftop of his apartment. We like crawled up the ladder together, and we were all—I mean—and I I recorded Ramona with him, like uh, that new version with him. Is he's uh, like—he recorded the Higher Than the Stars EP. He's like—he played drums with Pains on a tour once, but he's more like my friend than anything. And uh, so I I didn't put Ramona on the album, and instead I closed it with Gentle Sons. Um, uh, Well, he—we wrote a song together called Gentle Guns. (laughs) He's more into guns than I am, so so I'm just kind of like—I mean, he's not like really into guns. I mean, he's like—he's not like. He's not like packing, but, uh, <laughs> like, uh, but like, I was like, how about gentle son. That's, that's sort of better. Um, and, uh, and so why did I record it? Well, you know, and, and I played Ramona a lot uh, on tour with pains and I often played as an encore after the set uh, alone on stage solo. And I, and it was, a, had a different energy than it would have had within the recording recorded version. I don't think we ever played Ramona as like a full band as it was recorded on that young adult friction seven inch B side. Um, I just played it solo and I I always really liked doing that. And it was always one of my favorite parts of the show. And um, I mean, I'm an only child. I kind of like just doing my own thing and not having to worry about like being in time with anyone else, Uh, like metaphorically or, or, or actually, Um, (laughs)
0: actually,
1: fuck you metronomes. (laughs) (laughs) Go away, go away metronome. You are my enemy. <laughs> um, I also have like pretty bad timing. That's kind of why. So it's like that's hard. Um, but uh, so I re- re-recorded it kind of as a way of reintroducing this new project, uh, the natural, my new music, with something familiar from my old project as a sort of like a, a bridge between those those two worlds and sort of recontextualizing uh, an older work that I think s- still made a lot of sense and was a song I, I really loved uh, in the context of. of of my newer, newer music. And, um, so yeah, I just, w- and it was in the middle of pandemic. We just did it in the night. We, I just went over to the studio. Like, you know, we got, yeah, I got like a test beforehand and he got a test yeah. and like wore a mask and all that stuff. And, um, and we just like knocked it out like in like an hour or so. And, uh, it was, it turned out really nice. And I, I just sort of put it out on Christmas day on, on the internet and, uh, I'm glad that you like it. I'm glad that there's a document of that, that version of that song. And I'm, I think it's really, it goes further than I probably could have gone when I had originally wrote it, you know, like the the harmonies I do with myself on the choruses, um, even asking my buddy Kyle Forrester, who who played on the natural record too, and he used to be in crystal stilts and he plays in woods and he does his own music. But the kind of uh, piano and organ work he, he he put on there was like really cool. And um uh there was even like viola at the end there was like a little viola part the uh, this uh person uh named uh, i think her name's caroline white her her band is infinity crush she posted on twitter that was like if anyone needs like viola parts hit me up and so i i, I responded i was like hey you want to like do something on this track so i sent her the track uh when i was done with it and she like did a little uh outro part of, um, I think an infant, she might even be based in Baltimore or something. Like that. I've never met, I've never met them or whatever. So I don't, I don't, I don't know, but they were nice. And um, uh, yeah, so it all kind of came together in a, a way that was um, I'm glad that the old version of Ramona exists too, because I captured that moment of my life, but this kind of sh- sh- showed what I was uh, able to do now with the same kind of song. And um, sometimes if you're better at music, it makes the music worse, but I, I think I've gotten a little, more confident oh it may not look better but i just feel a little more confident in what i i can do and and what i'm able to do and and i remember listening back to it and i i I always feel a little bit sad because it's like it's never quite as good as i i want it to be and um uh like in terms of my my own performance and i just turned to my wife and uh, and she listened to it too and i was like you know you know it's, it's not as good as i want it to be but this is the best i can make it you know and and that's um i don't really like acquiescing to that reality of like um you know, limitation, but it, it's, it's it's sometimes okay to be like, you know, this was really, I did my best work and I, I hope it's enough, but it's, there's still a part of me that always, that always kind of wants it to be maybe something more, but I, I can't even explain to you what that would even sound like.
0: I certainly think that it is enough. And I actually went on a road trip recently. I went down from Baltimore to the Smoky Mountains with my girlfriend and we just like camped out. And one night it was so, so rainy that they closed off the roads and we had to drive two hours uh, from one side of the park to the other side of the park to get back to our campsite. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And on our ride there, we were actually listening to Ramona both versions and it was just the it was a straight up downpour and uh I don't know it was kind of like a movie it felt like kind of like just like in a movie where you and your partner are together and uh just the lyrics from that song felt so perfect at that time and I mean you know it was pretty bad out we could have crashed easily, so I, I think that it was a it was a nice uh, ballad in uh, that sense for me.
1: Thank you. I mean, I think it's something like I, I don't I don't know. I was just thinking about this now. Like maybe I'm I don't know. Maybe there's this sense of like being the velveteen rabbit where you just want to be real so much, but you don't realize that what makes you real is just the passage of time and being real to other people, and um and that magic you can't control that magic yourself. It's sort of you have to put yourself out there and you have to be willing to be worn. You have to be willing to get ugly you have to be willing to age and and disintegrate and 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 almost fall apart but in so doing like become beloved to another person and that's what instills that final magic where you're not just like an imitation of your heroes or an approximation of the past but you are your own your own thing and your own you become the real thing in in that experience but um I don't know, but most, I I feel like uh, most of the things I read now are just children's books. So I'm probably uh, drawing too much meaning into like the Velveteen Rabbit. But, um, but uh, that's a a particularly sad one. Uh, (laughs) I I can't, can't, I'm probably, I better stop talking about it now because I'll just start bawling thinking about it. But yeah, there's there's something about like, yeah, that passage of time and, and how, how your music becomes loved by another person is how it becomes real music, not by anything you can make it better or you can't. You can't be like, oh, I wish I could have just like done one more like vocal harmony here or like sort of played a different guitar part or something. That's that's not really where the that's not what really takes it to that next level. It's like really how it relates to other other people's lives and how they have these experiences like you were describing, like driving in a sort of dangerous rainstorm for two hours and finally getting to where you're going and having this song come on and 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 feeling something. From that experience, that uh, like, you can know, both legitimizes your own life, but also the music itself is becomes a part of your own, uh, you know, being. So yeah, I, I guess that's sort of that's a really cool story about you know how how you know I put a two hour detour like in the pouring rain. <laughs> yeah. I hope you had a Subaru or something like that. It's like I it, that sounds like really <laughs> thriving. I, I, okay, yesterday I shot a music video. Um, this is. Oh! my baller life. No, but I, saw so my, my buddy, uh, Sarah Halpern, who, um, she did the music video for hell. Actually, she did it twice. The first time she shot it, like the film got erased afterwards. <laughs> it was so, it was like such a bummer. Uh, we shot it. It was like the night of the blood moon. I remember it was like the blood moon was happening. I invited, uh, it was like Jacob and Jen Goma were in the video. And then the, these, these friends we had just met, um, uh, that, uh, Jacqueline and, uh, Leah, and Lewis and they'd all kind of gone to Catholic school or whatever and so we're like come over and like we'll make a music video about like Catholic education or whatever (laughs) and so we shot this music video and it was like super cool and like it was good and it was shot on film and my friend Sarah's like she's a professional projectionist like she could get hired by like a museum or like an archival film thing to like work like film cameras like professionally like she's she's really cool she does experimental filmmaking and she's like really cool um, she's someone my, my wife went to high school with and we' have just been friends for like oh cool years. so uh but yeah so it got erased and so we had to like we had to film it again but then like I don't know like the second time we filmed it I like, had like the bad idea of like putting on like sort of gothic makeup and then I remember sending it like like finishing the video and like sending it to like the guy that like that does press for pains and he was just like you can't actually release this it's too bad and so it was like it was like, it was, like, it was, like we looked so stupid like we looked like not like My Chemical Romance is a cool band and like the way they do like their like visual presentation is cool, but like seeing a bunch of like doofuses in Brooklyn with like white face paint and, and eyeliner looking like, I don't know, like weird like outtakes from like uh, Day of the Dead or something, it's it's not a great, um, it wasn't a great look. So then then we put like a black and white filter on it to try to like make it look less bad uh, like, or noticeable. Um, and then it was kind of all right um but so my friend Sarah uh she lives in Providence Rhode Island and I had to I, I woke up at five I drove the four hours up there we we did a music video for New Year's night um and then I drove the four hours back in like the pouring rain and it was just like you, you when like, something about driving in like a torrential rainstorm and seeing cars pass you and then you get a little further up and they've spun off the road and you're like well, uh, yeah, I hope you're okay, but that's why we, I was driving this. Like, you know, like, I know I was driving a little slow, but like um, this, this, this Kia wasn't really meant to. It's uh, <laughs> not, uh, it's not, it's not a, it's not a boat. <laughs> but yeah, so so I, I made another video with her um, driving in the rain. I I don't. Yeah, you were telling a story about like having a horrible like two hour delay um, in the rain. Um, I. I've, I've been there. I know. I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's so funny. I actually would really love to talk about you to you about more like tour stories. I, I feel like you would just have, so many good ones. I I could only imagine. But I actually wanted to get into some fun questions. But before I do that, I was curious if you could tell the listeners uh, what music video uh, that you just filmed. What video can we expect to yeah, come yeah. out? I,
1: I think it's New Year's Night. Uh, so, oh, perfect. Um, so it's the, it's the fourth track on the record, and it's um it's a rockin', It's probably the most rocking moment of the record. Or yeah, up tempo one. <laughs> and uh yeah it was it was super fun I got this uh I don't know I found this like velvet I don't know how it's gonna turn out but I, I found this like velvet uh silver suit that I and like got a sort of a tuxedo shirt and it was like really fun to dress up and have a, a sort of a sense of like um I don't know being velvet Elvis or whatever and, and shooting the video and like my, my friend Sarah like got a bubble machine and we like she like rented one and like we turned it on full blast and it's like a bubble machine is awesome until you realize how like slippery the floor gets so i kept like (laughs) like hurting myself it was like i was like if i there's like the most dangerous music video but it's just because of a bubble machine like it's like no one tells you the true dangers of a bubble machine it's like it looks cool and psychedelic or whatever until you're like slipping all over the floor and like plant yeah, you know, at my age, it's like you don't want to slip and fall; you could break a hip for all. You <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was kind of an adventure, and like you know, like so it was like it was like yeah, like probably like nine hours of driving to do it. But um, but yeah, when when you have a family and kids, you just have to. If you do anything, it has to be super efficient, and super, you have to be willing to just like this day is going to be super brutal, yeah. but it's, it's like it's going to be fun. And, and that's the thing about my life is like I'm a slothful, lazy person, except for the one thing I feel like I have infinite uh, energy and desire to do is to just um. Uh, make music and and that I never feel like is is a chore.
0: That's cool. That's very cool. Okay, Kep, let's get into some fun questions. Tell a story of one of your first live performances as the pains of being pure at heart.
1: Yeah, man. I, I when we first started out, like I think our very first show was um, not like a, a joke or a trick, but like we we started. There was this band we loved from Leeds uh, in the UK called the Manhattan Love Suicides. And uh, they, were, they were playing this super noisy, abrasive version of Indie Pop. They were kind of like the Jesus and Mary Chain, but, you know, playing beat happening. You know, it was, it was like a cool thing. And, it, and then at that time, uh, Indie Pop, like that one word, like DIY community was, was really rooted in kind of, not exclusively, but these really, um, twee, not, not that twee is a bad thing, but it was like a very twee, polite, uh, clean kind of sound. Uh, and the Manhattan Love Suicides just sort of opened this door to a reminder that indie pop didn't have to be polite or restrained. It could be loud and uh, aggressive and abrasive. And we became sort of like, we wrote to them on the internet. I think, I don't know if Peggy heard them first or I did And like, we wrote to them. And we're like, what well, kind of like, how do you get your guitar to sound that cool? <laughs> um, and, and Darren, Darren from the band and Caroline, you know, they've been together forever. Uh, they're still our friends and, uh, he wrote back to us and we're like, uh, they were planning to come to America to play some shows, and we're like, "Hey, can you cancel the show you're going to play in New York? We'll throw you a better show at this party." But it was like, it was kind of like a crock of shit because, like, we we had no idea what to do. So uh, we're like, "Shit, we actually have to do this now." So we we we, my buddy was like living in a weird warehouse, and uh so we got like a PA and like told all our friends and tried to like promote it as best we could. We invited Titus, this band we like called Titus Andronicus to play to... Um, There's a band from, I think we're from D.C. called Affair de Cur uh, Affair, D, apostrophe C-O-E-U-R That was cool And um, and we're like, okay Since we're throwing the party, we can open for the Manhattan Love Suicides, and it was also Peggy's birthday So we made it her birthday party, and we're like We've tricked them into playing this place And now we're going to be the opening band So we played, and at that time <laughs> we didn't have a drummer So we just had like some drum beats on the iPod Like, you know, like, f- like five tracks That basically had the same drum beat <laughs> And then, uh, yeah we pushed play and um and played along and played our songs and people didn't hate it and that was like super cool and uh there's some pictures of that show up on on instagram on our instagram page so it was at that time it was just me peggy and alex in the band and i remember titus and like blew up our bass amp but because they were like we were letting them use our stuff and um they played like rage against the machine killing in the name of uh, this, was like, this is like 2007 so <laughs> I, I, and, and it's like i don't know maybe i had like a janky bass amp or something but they really like um they, they it like started actually like smoking and on fire at some point which in retrospect is like pretty cool but at the time i was kind of like oh man that was cool. <laughs> uh but they're they're cool and uh we like them a lot so our first show was with them and this band had loves suicides and and uh it was sort of um we we had such a good time we just kind of kept going with it and we didn't really get good or until ever really, but we didn't, it didn't really start sounding like maybe the band people know until Kurt joined up and we were able to have like more than one drum beat because a human being was playing the drums instead of me just programming like the same drum beat at different speeds. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We, but at that first show, we had like our songs, our song titles were longer than our song. So we had that song doing all the things that wouldn't make your parents proud. Yeah. The, song, the pains of being pure at heart yeah uh, we did it was like probably disco love is fucking right, Ooh. Uh, and uh maybe hey Paul and uh we might have played a song called it might have been my own like my only which was on the last record was actually one of the very first pain songs we wrote um oh, maybe I was digging digging deep into the dregs at that yeah, point. but uh yeah, I don't remember. Maybe we, maybe we played that song too. Uh, but yeah, we had like probably like, played like five or six songs in like 10 minutes and then like we were the opening band so it was like we got off the stage but it was, it was...
0: Yeah, that's the best like when you're kind of like playing a DIY show or like a warehouse show. I, I know I've certainly done that with my music projects to where I kind of want to be the opening band just so I can enjoy everything else later and just like relax and have fun, you know? Yeah,
1: there's no pressure when you're like going first. It's like even if you're terrible, no one cares. Like it's it and it's... And it's you kind of set up your shit and like play and then just get, get off. I remember I remember that night we had so much fun. Like, uh, I just remember for some reason, like Peggy had a bottle of like Grey goose, vanilla vodka that we we're just like drinking out of. Like it was like baller, but also like kind of, uh, dubious, like like vanilla flavored vodka. We we're just drinking all night and like, and having a good time. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we, we definitely, I don't know if we were like the hardest partying band in indie pop, but we definitely wanted to bring, um, a, a, a sort of a degree of uh, a de- I remember our first band practice with Kurt like he was like shocked we were like brought Jägermeister along and we're like like passing the Jaeger bottle around and he's like who are you fucking guys <laughs> like it's like I thought you guys were like playing like jangly songs like yeah we're. but um, uh. Yeah, uh, not, not to advocate like uh, I mean, obviously I super respect like like people and artists and they you don't have to be um, debauched to make interesting things in the world and it probably helps if you're not actually uh, <laughs> that was our our first show
0: if you could have any musician past or present cover a song of yours you would like which song would it be and which musician would it be
1: oh that's that's a tough one i can tell you for sure that one of the coolest things and it actually finally came out this year but it was probably done about 11 years ago is uh titus andronicus uh proposed that we cover each other's songs and put out a seven inch and um they actually did it, and we were said we would do it, but then we didn't end up doing it because I'm lazy. But um, oh. but they covered the song "The Pains of Being Pure at Heart." Nice, and uh, and they did it in, like in their style. Um, we should have covered the song "Titus Andronicus." We both had self titled songs. That's part of the reason why we had a self titled. Oh like, come
0: on! Titus,
1: Titus Andronicus had a song called "So." Self- uh, maybe I'll do it with the Natural at some point. Um, yeah, that'd be fun. I, I I do owe them. I do owe Patrick that like that. Kind of <laughs> but um. But yeah, he covered the pains of being pure at heart uh, in the style of Titus Andronicus, which is very different than the, the pains of being pure at heart. And I think he did an awesome job and it came out on that stereo gum like compilation of yeah. covering the zeros. Um, and I just, I just remember like out of the blue, like, like, I got an email from Patrick who was like, hey, do you have that MP3 I sent you like 12 years ago? And uh, luckily with Gmail, you can kind of like type in like Patrick Stickles and like look for the little paperclip attachment. And you're like, yes, I do. I do have that MP3 you sent me a dozen years ago. Uh, He's like, yeah, can I have that for something? But he didn't tell me what it was for. So I was like, yeah, sure, man. It's your song. Um,
0: That's awesome. That that,
1: that was the one that happened. As far as like who I'd love to see uh, interpret my music. uh, Gosh, man, I... I don't, I don't know. Like for, for pains, um, you know, I, I, I mean, some bands probably did like that band Joanna gruesome, like played, they had a song called sugar crush, which sounded a lot like um, this love is fucking right or something like that. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. I, I, and I like Joanna gruesome. So I, it was cool to see what we do, like starting to influence a new generation of artists, which is like kind of uh, nice. Cause everyone, when we were starting out was like, you're just ripping off an older generation of artists. But it's nice when a new generation of artists looks at what we're doing as something uh, like worthwhile and inspiring and wanting to do something like kind of both rooted in that, but also their own thing. And I thought Joanna Grusome did um, a cool job of taking something that maybe sounded a little bit like us, but then making it their own vision and their own lyrics and their own uh, energy. Um, and I thought, I, I liked that song a lot, even, even though it wasn't like a cover and I don't mean to accuse them of like, being unoriginal it was more just like i was like i hear a little bit of like our our music and some and a new form of music and i am always flattered to think that anyone even heard our records oh actually no i have a better answer for you um for whatever reason this dude tony Molino really likes pains a lot and i love tony molina so if he ever wanted to cover a pain song i would be like pretty psyched to hear him uh, which
0: song which song would you like him um, to cover? man
1: it's, 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 it's up to him man i what's the most painsy song uh that would sound good for tony molina to i mean probably something off like the probably something off that that first record um yeah yeah i don't know i like mean i feel like this i feel like maybe like this love is fucking right is our most uh not like iconic that's like a dumb way of putting it but it's like the most painsy painsy song
0: totally like, yeah
1: it, it sort of seems like if someone like heard that song by us they would like get the sense of like what our band was about and i i don't know it's like it's kind of like hey we're we like the field mice but we want to be like the opposite energy or something like
0: that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how about if you could name a band or artist that you believe is the best live show that you've ever seen?
1: Oh shit. Uh that is that oh man, there's there's a couple that uh always like completely blew my mind. Um I don't know, there's this band from uh Portland, Oregon, and I mean there's obviously other bands that are awesome, but for whatever reason, like no one ever They've like just existed in this weird vacuum where like I think people in bands like them, but like no one, they never seem to like catch on with like the the the, the culture. And we they're called the Prids and they were just so good live. Like I remember seeing them when I lived in Portland, Oregon, when I was at, at school, like in the early 2000s. And they're still together, and they have like a long, strange history filled with like tragedy and disappointment, all sorts of stuff. But like when they step on stage, like Mistina. Uh, and David they used to be like married a long time ago and now they're just friends and bandmates and uh, she plays bass and sings and he plays guitar and sings and they a lot of the songs they're singing at the this, this same time it's not like a harmony kind of thing but they're just both singing at the same time and 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 there's like oh they've had like different drummers through the years but like they've had they've had people play drums in their band that like, come from more metal backgrounds and like have like really hardcore backgrounds so they there's like a heaviness to them but they have this like beautiful like uh inspiring kind of post-punk song that's just like sound that's like kind of both parts like 80s post-punk but also like 90s noise pop at the same time and I mean I used to make fun of them for being like goth like but they're like they're like sort of like uh goth before it was cool and after it was cool like, they, like they've, they've stayed with it um and uh yeah and, and they're my friends and now now they're my friends when I lived in Portland I was just like a huge fan of their music so I think the prids are probably like the most uh, inspiring kind of live band I can remember seeing. And just always made me like kind of like, you know, tear up when you're like w- with watching them play.
0: How do you spell that?
1: It's P as in uh, Peter, R I D as in dog S. So it's like, got it.
0: Big. Okay, cool. And they, were
1: fr- and they were from Oklahoma. They were from like uh, Nebraska originally. And they were just like, I don't know. David used to, I had like, you know, like when he was a teenager, had like, like bad issues with like. Uh, I mean, he's he talked about it too, like with like with speed and like she was like also like a teenage goth and they kind of like found love and moved out to Portland, Oregon. Maybe because like Dead Moon moved there. I don't I don't even know their full story, but they were like literally from Lincoln, Nebraska. They were in, like the same scene as the uh, the Faint.
0: Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. They
1: were, like the other side of it, they were like probably like oh like, the Faint are doing this thing. We're doing the same thing, but in like a different different way. And, and so they moved out to. Oregon and, and they were just like really fucking cool. And uh, I don't know at that time there was it kind of before the, not like before the internet, but it was before you kind of had to like to get discovered or like attention coming out of the Pacific Northwest wasn't always super easy because geographically just to go on tour, you'd have to drive 12 hours just to go to San Francisco or th- three hours to go to Seattle. There was like, you were kind of isolated. So it created this uh, scene and community of bands that would play in like Vancouver, BC, Bellingham, Washington, Uh, Seattle Washington Portland Oregon and maybe Eugene and and maybe like Boise but that was also another like 10-hour drive like it was like and it was you sort of play that same circuit and a lot of bands were like big in that um, that 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 community but never really had recognition outside of that it was like a regional kind of scene and back when there was a sense of like region and now with internet you can kind of be creating cool stuff almost anywhere and people can at least hear it and uh, interact with it in in, in good ways which I, I think is awesome but at that time they were I think they were a little bit limited by um, what they were doing like they're there's they were like kind of doing a post-punk thing when everyone else was kind of doing garage rock revival uh, so it was like a little bit out of step with the moment and also they were like out of step with where the scene was happening which is most like New York and yeah stuff like that so fair enough yeah, they're, they're awesome
0: who is the most underrated musician that everyone should look up right now?
1: Who's underrated musician that everyone should look up <laughs> right, right now? Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't even listen to this dude. But uh, what's that like skinny redheaded dude from the UK that's like, every time I hear something, I'm just like, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> I, I mean, he's like, he's like, oh, King Cruel. Like, I mean, I, I know he's like well known, oh, okay. but he's, I, it's like, it's a weird thing where I'm just always like, I don't even like listen to his music, but when I do, I'm always like really, I mean, I, I should listen to it more. I'm just saying it's like, it's not someone that's like, I have all his records and I can tell you about him. It's like, just someone whenever I encounter something that he does, like he, did, he even did a cover of John Lennon's Imagine, which oh, you know, wow. in, in recent years, like people are pretty quick to point out, like, you know, like they don't like that song so much, or it's like cheesy or, um, like I don't know. It's like, I, I think the song's fine, man but it's like, it's sort of like a real like Captain Obvious kind of song to play. And he did a cover of it that was like so distinctly himself and strange uh, that it really recontextualized uh, a song that is like omnipresent or ubiquitous even and made it something that you could hear again in a fresh way. And And just hearing that, I was like, all right, man. And he's like super young too. I mean, now super young, I don't even know what that means. But like, I remember when he came up, it was like, basically this like gaunt teenager uh, with like red hair that like had a voice that was two octaves real. <laughs> and I'm just like, how do you get that voice, man? Like I, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm more on the, the destroyer spectrum. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, think, I think for whatever reason, I mean, I know he's like signed to like XL or, or yeah. one those, like good label. So it's not like he's like unknown or un, but if, if for whatever reason, and also he had this like thing called Live on the Moon which was like sort of a live concert he did where it was just like on a set that looked like the moon and they were all in spacesuits playing songs live. And it it could have been like a, I mean, I know that's not a like a spiritualized kind of idea, but like just the visual of it was like really obvious, but cool. Like it was like something where like, it looks like I'm watching a band play on the moon. Um,
0: I like that. And maybe
1: like, like, like maybe like presaged by a, Ah, uh, the cardigan's first band on the moon or something. <laughs> like, <literally, laughs> I was like this is this is both obvious and really interesting at the same time. And like the music is kind of scronky and strange and um kind of like a little bit jazz and detuned and and weird. So I, I think he's I think he's cool, but um I probably should listen to more of his music
0: to be more- I feel like Grimes would be the first musician to play on the moon. She would just get uh, Elon to uh, send her up there and then just perform or something
1: yeah, like. I mean, that's the, like taking it that literally would probably um, uh yeah, I mean it's almost like all right, cool. Like I guess you could actually physically do it because <laughs> yeah. access to the resources to play on the moon. But then it's like that's almost like less interesting in a weird way. I just mean like, <laughs> it's like almost like a demonstration of like uh, access to wealth, not access to ideas, which is are, I guess two different ideas. Not that, that's, not that she doesn't have access to ideas, but were she to play a, a concert on the moon, um, it would be like. I don't think it would go over that well.
0: Fair enough. So I have my final two questions, and then this is it. Can we expect any B sides, covers, collaborations, or other releases later this year?
1: Yeah, man. I I mean, when I recorded the album, I did like fifteen tracks. I mean, I mean, honestly, like there was ten of them like they were like full band style, and then like a a few covers. Like, in fact, I put out that Dear Nora song, Dear Nora cover. um, You looked like a portrait. I think all the way back in 2019. That was one of the ones I recorded when I did the album. Uh, And then I did a a cover of um, Tom Petty, a different, a different than the version that I did for that pains covers album uh, of won't back down. I did a cover of Richard Thompson's a heart needs a home. This was just kind of like solo electric, like me and electric guitar and like my friend Sarah sang some harmonies. So they're kind of like stripped down things, but there was like one song that was on the album that wasn't on the album because it was called uh, a portrait of Sylvie Vartan and it was it was just like too weird. I was like, there's already a song called Sylvia, the cup of youth. And you can't just have, it was just like, it was like one of the things I was like looking at it on the page. I was like, I can't literally have two songs that have a similar name in the title. And I, and this literally, I'm so stupid. I woke up this morning. I was like, I could have called the song something different and then solve the problem. But it was also a thing where like the last song on the tethers is like six minutes long. So that like, it's kind of like two songs. And uh, just from a space on a vinyl record and, sound quality and all that stuff kind of issue, or just people's patience kind of issue, I didn't want to over, overdo it. So I kind of like 10 songs on a record, unless one song is super long, then I, like nine's fine. Or if they're like super short songs then you can put more, but um, for whatever reason, that one didn't get on the record. So I've, I'm actually in currently in a bidding war between two UK labels to put out the seven inch, but it's not the kind of bidding war you think where there's money involved. It's like both labels are telling me how incompetent they are. And it's not, it's like a self-effacing bidding war where I like wrote to um, i wrote to uh, Rob from, uh, he, he was in this band, he was in Heavenly. He, he plays in the Catenary Wires with Amelia Fletcher. And we've gotten to know each other a little bit through the internet. And I sent him the songs and he's like, you know, I'm just so, I'm so incompetent at putting out records. I'd probably screwed up for you. And I mean, I like to do it, but I'm, I'm just terrible at doing it. And like, you know, like, like, like really self-effacing British guy. And I was like, No, no, it's fine, man. Like, I'm not looking for anything other than just someone like putting it on a on a record and putting it out in the world and like just so people can hear it and like exist. And like, I didn't expect he was gonna even write back. So I'd also written to like this guy Chip, who was uh, the bassist of the Field Mice, and and he was like, not only am I incompetent, but Rob is so much more competent than me, and I would even fuck up your record even more. But he's doing this label called Prefect Records, which I think is really cool. They put out this man X Void and some other stuff, and like, I he's like. I've met him before he's like but I don't know if it's like a, a British thing where they're just they're both telling me how terrible an idea it would be to put out a record with them at the same time so I feel like I'm like in this whatever the inverse of a bidding war is where they're just like uh arguing about who would do a worse job but like not saying the other one would like they would do the worst job but uh at some point I hope to put out a seven inch later this year with that that track that didn't make the record um and maybe one of the covers maybe the Tom Petty song so Hopefully do that. And then since this year I can't really tour, I was hoping to record another record. And this year, if I, if, you know, if I can, you know, get people together in the same room and everyone gets their vaccines and stuff like that, just cause like, I don't think there's going to be really opportunities to play shows or anything like that until yeah. 2022. So I thought, well, I got, I, like last summer I wrote a bunch more songs um, during the, uh, that, that lockdown phase. And, um, and I think I have like an album's worth of, of stuff. And I hope I get to record that uh, this this year if I can. But yeah, I'll, I'll try to get out a a song. Well, then the problem is both of these labels wanted to do it, and I feel bad like saying no to one of them. So I might actually have to record another just another song to get. So, <laughs> so, so like they both are like happy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm trying to do some more music videos just because I can't play shows and like. Maybe have like some kind of visual representation of the music out there in the world uh, as the year goes on and uh, and hopefully get a maybe get a single out maybe even two singles out uh, before Christmas time if if I'm if I'm productive. Uh, So yeah, it's like uh, I just I I feel energized by working on stuff and I I, and it's been so long since I've been able to just be in a room with my my friends making music and I, I I want to do as much of that as I can before my hair falls out.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> that's, so that's, that's, when,
1: that's, that's, that's when God tells you to retire when he's like, all right, now you don't have hair.
0: <laughs> yeah, give it up. Just it get up. out yeah, of here. Yeah,
1: you, you no longer have any kind of artistic. There's no artistic worth to anyone that doesn't have hair anymore.
0: Um, I can't think of any like rock stars or indie stars without hair. I, I literally can't think of any off the top of my head.
1: Michael Stipe was cool, honestly. Oh,
0: well, I mean, yeah, Michael Stipe. Okay, fair enough. Michael Stipe, definitely.
1: He was he was really good. Um. But yeah, it it, it is a, a it is like a real difficult uh a d- difficult to frontier to get people to think that you have, um, any worth as a human being as a musician if you don't have like some sort of like messy hair like, uh. <laughs> I might I might just have to go 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 um go wig at that point yeah
0: right <laughs> or just wear <laughs> like a i
1: will like, borrow Tyler to the creators blonde wig I'm like you're like from the Igor album I'm like you're probably done with that right man like. <laughs> Uh, you, can I can I borrow that for a bit?
0: Yeah, seriously, yeah. <laughs> okay, Kev, my final question here is, who should I have on my show next?
1: Um. Oh, you know who I love is this band from Texas called Telenovela. Uh, I, I had not really been familiar with their music uh, before recently, but they put out this record called Merlin Bell. And I think one of the people used to be in Voxtrot. Trot, uh, but it doesn't sound like Voxtrot. Trot. It has this sort of, western gothic uh quality to it a little bit of like lee hazelwood but not so tongue-in-cheek very, very well written and very well like arranged like it doesn't uses interest, use interest you use instruments in a, like a really interesting way and i've just been i've been in love with their record and i also love a new record by an artist called wild wild pink which is this guy john uh who lives in new york and um upstate new york now he used to live in brooklyn um but he put out a, a album called i think a Million Little Lights, and it's kind of, it has this like cool Paul Simon via like Stadium Rock Americana, like it's, it's sort of like a little bit like M83 and like Paul oh, Simon wow. together, I guess it's sort of like, huh. he's, he sings softly, but like very, he has good like um, a cadence or whatever to his voice, and he writes good songs, and I I've been really loving his music for a bit, and he just put out a record in February, and uh, probably has nothing better to do because he can't go on tour right now anyway. So Wild Pink, I would say, and uh, Telenovella would probably be right, my two to recommend to you if they if they if they answer your emails.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so very, extremely much for coming on. This has meant the world to me. I've been a big fan of yours since I was 20 and I'm way older than that now. So just well, thank you for than this opportunity. James, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay,
1: so I, I wanted to say before we go, you you obviously uh, uh, have a lot of knowledge and experience uh, with my music and it, it's, it's such a joy. I mean, I'm happy to talk about my music with anyone, uh, but it was really uh, cool to speak to someone who had such a, a history and insight and thought about it in, uh, in, in a real lived way. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to, um, you know, ask really interesting questions and uh, just chat about what I'm doing now.
0: Awesome. My pleasure, man.